you've enjoyed the service thus far and that um, the message speaks to you this morning. We've been in a series now for, I, I don't know, I don't have it numbered on my notes, but this is the week number six or seven for such a time as this. Um, we're going back into the book of Esther this morning. Uh, uh, and for those of you that may have missed, you know, the book of Esther has four main characters. Uh, M- Esther, Mordecai, who is Esther's cousin, but was her guardian. Uh, Exerces, who is uh, king of Persia, which was a huge empire. Uh, and um, then uh, Haman, who is a governor for Xerxes over this, uh, a certain, you know, partial of the empire. Uh, Xerxes is a very powerful king, um, and he has this series of parties, and people come from, I mean, if you understand geography, I mean, they were from really from the Atlantic Ocean clear over to India. The the massness of the empire was uh, just huge, and he has this these parties for all these people to come in, and and then he divorces the queen because she refuses to dance for him at some drunken bash. Is the big and the small of it, um, and. Mordecai, who is a captive Jew from the Israel, who has been, you know, uh, they're captive there in the Persian kingdom. Uh, he devises a plan so Esther, his beautiful young cousin, this maiden, uh, can become queen, and she does uh, through the providence of God and. And then Mordecai discovers this plot uh, that the, the, they're going to try to assassinate the king. And he tells uh, his cousin Esther, and the king is saved, and Mordecai and Esther are somewhat immediate heroes. Uh, and yet, in, in all of this, Haman... Um, is kind of jealous of Mordecai and he's given this promotion and Mordecai won't bow uh, to Haman. And uh, so Haman has this plot that Michael told us about a few weeks ago uh, and sentences all Jews to death and he gets the king um, to, you know, which this includes the queen, which no one knows, Esther is a is is a Jew, and um, you know she's Hebrew, and no one knows that Mordecai. They've hid their nationality uh, up until this point, and uh, but it includes the queen, Esther, and even the king doesn't realize that he's put a death sentence on the queen. And Mordecai, who, you know, just saved his life. And and that's kind of rather simplified where we are in this series. The series title this morning is Dark Hours. 
uh, how appropriate for, you know, the way that, I mean, we are right now with uh, everything that is is going on and, and this message, that, you know, through the worship this morning. Um, because it, it's estimated that in the Persian Empire at the time of the writing of Esther and when this all was unfolding, that there were 15 million Hebrew or Jewish people living in the Persian Empire. 15 million. And they had just been sentenced to death. Folks, that's almost three times what Hitler killed during the Holocaust. I mean, you know, it's estimated 6 million um, Jews died during the Holocaust. So, you know, it's it's more than two times, two and a half times, I guess, as to how many. So these people were perplexed, to say the least, in this huge empire. And Mordecai, a hero, has just been sentenced to death. So has as Esther, and yet, you know, it's it's unknown. And... You look at it from that perspective, um, Esther is finished as queen if this order is carried out, this decree, they call it. Uh, hopes and prayers for what what's next, the excitement of Esther being queen and all that, you know, was going to happen and, and all their, you know, just everything they hoped and prayed for was just just vanished. And it becomes fear and insecurity and doubt, overwhelming mind control. Uh, There was nowhere to flee. Can we identify with any of the things that Esther and Mordecai was experiencing? I think we can, you know, um, even right now. And lay COVID aside, we still have those anxieties and we still have, you know, the crisis of life and um, everything that just transpires uh, in our day-to-day living causes us to have fear and insecurity and doubt and and this overwhelmingness sometimes it, you know, uh, it, it, and, and, in a church this size, even though we're not all meeting in one place on Sunday morning, there's always a family in this church going through a crisis. Always. And sometimes multiple multiple families going through crisis that, that are just, that's overwhelming to them. And I could, I could name three or four right now on one hand, you know, the, uh, that it's devastating. And... So when you think about it from that perspective, you know, um, nowhere to flee, fasting and mourning and sackcloth and ashes, one man stood in the gap, and that was Mordecai. If if I, I wish we could read, and I hope you're reading, you've went home, it's only, uh, you know, four or five chapters and eight or ten pages. I hope you go and read it. But Mordecai was neither afraid nor ashamed to let the people know where he stood 
after this decree to have all of them annihilated, all the Jews annihilated, simply because Haman was jealous that Mordecai would not bow. And it's, you know, he, he went to the officers of the gate. He told them he was a Jew, and now he was telling the entire city that, you know, by words and actions, this is me that he's condemned along with all my people, all, the, the, all my uh, race of, of folks. And that's where it picks up in Esther 4.1, and I want to read you just one verse. It says, When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried out with a loud and bitter cry. In dark times, Christians must stand, they must kneel, and they must cry out. They must stand for what is right, they must kneel to an almighty God, and they must do what's right. Mordecai expressed his concerns, his burdens, his compassion. And if ever there was a day for the Mordecais of our country, of our churches to rise, it is in such a time as this. Uh, I touched on this uh, in, in, over two or three times in the last few weeks, but I just, God won't let me lay it down um, we must stand for the Bible. Um, it, I don't know what word to even use to describe my feelings, but I'm troubled that churches and pastors and Christians do not honor God's word as the infallible, inerrant, and absolute truth throughout our country and in this land. And I'm not talking about unsaved. I'm talking about Christian that say I'm a Christian that do not honor the Bible as the infallible, inerrant word of God. It's time that we stand and preach the truth that this is God's word. It is without error. And what it says we are to live by. And not to try to confuse people. Water it down and compromise the truth about sin. About life. And about things that are right. And the moral standards that are upheld by this Bible. It is the law that our law should be based on. And, and I, I, the foundational problem in, in our country in our, is, is our churches. It's the preaching from the pulpits that this is not the truth and they find a way around it. They loophole items and preach that they're not sin, that... that it's all right to live a certain way. It's all right to do certain things. It's all right to do this, this, and this. When in fact God's word says otherwise. And it's the foundational problem in our churches and in our worlds. Christians need to read this Bible for themselves. 
They need to quote it. They need to teach it to their children if we ever expect our nation to get better. It's just that simple. It is just that simple. And, and someone has once said, and, and I, I, I repeat it often, all that is required for evil to triumph is good men to do nothing. And the nothing that I'm talking about is simple. You do nothing when you don't read this Bible and know it for yourself and quit listening to these Casper Milk Toast, Monty Codlin preachers. It's pitiful. It's pitiful. Folks ought to leave the churches they're in by the masses and go somewhere where the truth is preached. And I make no apologies for it. it, it it's, it's just terrible. Christians can't be neutral when human life is at stake. And Mordecai was not neutral. He stood up, he went out into the city, he told them, this is me that has been condemned to death, and he cried out and put on sackcloth and ashes. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12 says, rescue those being led away to death, hold back those staggering toward the slaughter, and, and if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Are you lying? <laughs> does not he who guards your own life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? The number one answer to everything that's a dark hour in our lives is the word of God. Amen. It's the truth. You, you want, I've said it a hundred times and I'll be saying it till the day I die. If you want to fix Washington, D.C., go lead those people to Christ that, that say they're Christians, profess, and do not possess the Savior. Just lead them to Christ. If they'd trust Christ and start reading this book and believe it for themselves, it'd, it'd change their life. It'd change your life. It, it, it will. And... Folks are dying and going to hell, and Mordecai went to the king's gate. Now, I'm gonna, you know, rather than just preaching it's dark hours and all doom and gloom, let's look at what he done. Mordecai went to the king's gate, and that was as close as he could go to the king. And when you think about that, thank God we can go to the throne room. He couldn't get to the king. You can go to the king. And if, and if we expect anything to be righted in our lives, in our families, it better begin with prayer. And it better begin with someone on their knees that is standing for the truth. And whether it's for the lost, whether it's for your burdens, whether it's for your concerns, whether it's a crisis that we're going through as a country or as a family, or whether it's the consequences of sin. All of that can be fixed through prayer. And, and it, it, you know, maybe it's bad decisions you make. That comes with repentance, with confession through prayer. And that, that's what Mordecai done. Uh, you know, he went, to, he went to God in prayer. He, he 
He turned it over to someone other than himself because he was now destined to die. It, Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 and 16, I won't read all the verses, but it tells us as Christians to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in the time of need. And Mordecai couldn't get to the king and, and, and yet we can go to our king with any problem, none are too small, none are too large. And, and there is always a burden that we carry for the loss that we should be praying for those folks that are in need of a Savior. And even though he couldn't get to the king, he shows his concern by sackcloth and ashes. I wish I had time to tell you what that really meant, but it was simply he took his clothes off and put on a burlap bag and smeared ashes all over himself. And, and, and that meant that he was repentant and mourning and crying out. Would be to God that Christians would be repentant that we could get some of these folks that, that don't speak the truth from the word of God to turn from their, their compromise and, and be repentant and in mourning for our country and that we would be crying out. Would be to God we see repentance and mourning and crying out in America. I, I just find it unbelievable that the majority of Christians never read their Bible. I find that it, it, it's just unbelievable to me. And, and I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but I'm talking about don't know where it is, never read it on their phone, they have no devotion, they have no understanding. They solely rely upon somebody standing in a pulpit to feed me, like little birds receiving a worm. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And then when that is compromised from the pulpit, they don't have a clue that what they're saying and doing is wrong. Some say we need revival. Yes, we do. But a spare tar religion, tire religion, get my tars and tires corrected. But a spare tire religion where the people only come to God in prayer, only go to God's word during time of crisis is not revival. What we need and, and, is, and what will correct that is when Christian people for their self, start reading their Bible and they start praying and they start uh, getting convicted of their sins and they see the shape they are in. They become uncomfortable with their sin and they repent and cry out. I'm not advocating sackcloth and ashes, but I can tell you this comfortable uh, convenient Christianese church that uh, movement that is in our country 
It's not working. It's not working. Mordecai was doomed. He was under the penalty of death. And let me tell you, if you are uh, sitting here and you have never put your faith or trust in Christ, you are doomed also. As was I before I put my faith in Christ. Two verses that I've always held heavily on is Romans 9.27. And it says, is it appointed unto men once to die? We're all going to die. The closing part of that verse is, but after this, the judgment. And if you want to go and look what that looks like, Revelation 20 verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. We've watered that down because nobody will preach on hell anymore. Nobody will tell the truth. They want you to believe there is some purgatory or some in-between place that you can be bought or prayed out of. That is a lie from hell and the devil that spawned it. It's not true. You don't find it in God's Word. I challenge you to prove it. If you are sitting here or you are listening and under the sound of my voice online, not a follower, not saved, don't uh, know your eternal destination. You've never put your trust. The Bible says you are condemned already. Condemned already. The only hope that any of us have to escape hell is Jesus Christ and Him alone. His death on the cross and simply, simply putting your faith and trust in His death as payment for your sin. And then you can know that you can escape hell and you have eternal life. It is... is, The the only hope that our country has, it's the only hope that our world has, it is the only hope that our communities have, is, is trusting Christ as their personal Savior and putting their faith in Him and then reading and studying and teaching this book. That's when we'll see revival, is when we get Christian people that'll read their Bible, convicted of their sin, repent as Mordecai did, And go to God in prayer and confess. It's what he was doing. Christians need to be convicted of their sin and start telling the story of Christ. You can work with beside folks for years and never know they're a Christian because they don't tell you. Whether ashamed or unconcerned, they just don't say. Why? Because they don't see the urgency of reaching the lost with the gospel. The lost with the gospel. We're all guilty. I'm guilty. We fail to see the urgency. And yet, if any time, there's a time now to see urgency. We don't, we, you, you never know. I lost a guy this week who was my best friend in high school. We stayed at each other's house. 
healthy as a lark or healthy as a horse and three days later gone. You never know. I had another friend a few years ago, healthy as a horse, we thought, went to Walmart and never went home. There's an urgency and a need for us to be Christian and spread the gospel. We're not getting it in our churches, nor are they going to in, in Christianese movement to where the gospel is not preached and lacking Bible truth. Mordecai stood in the gap for 15 million people, one man, and he made a difference. How much difference can we make to those that are lost around us if we just start reading our Bible, preaching the truth, being a witness for Christ? He was heartbroken and burdened and, and for his countrymen. When is the last time you were heartbroken or burdened for anyone and crying out, hurting inside for that someone that was lost or is lost around you? It's not going to happen till you get a burden, till you start crying out, till you become concerned. Psalms 126, 5 and 6 says this, They that sow in tears will reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Till you get a burden, a conviction, some compassion for the folks that you work with, your neighbors, those around the block, those that are within your own home, your own children, your husbands, your, your wives and realize that they are going to hell if they have never trusted Christ. When you get that burden and you start crying, then you'll come again bringing your sheaves with you. We are living in a messed up, jacked up world. We cry and show more emotion over pets and sports and elections than we do over people dying and going to hell. And, and believe you me, folks, I, I'm all into college sports. I, I was upset yesterday because three or four of the best teams in the country couldn't play because of COVID. I, I'm, I'm not preaching to the choir. I'm right with you. I, I want the high schoolers to be able to play sports. The, the, the seniors will never have another chance, and, and they should be able to play ball. We're, if we can send people to the moon, we, know, we can figure out how to do this stuff safe. You lose a pet, and we've lost a member of our family. My goodness, I even whine about wearing a mask. I can't breathe with the stupid thing on. But I don't understand Christians never shedding a tear. I don't understand that they have no burden for their lost loved one. Where they're not crying out 
for their family members, for their kids, Christians that never witness, never say a word, even if it's subtle, let me get that right, even if it's just that we're all going to die. I, I use the phrase because I use it as a lead-in to all the time. How you doing? I'm above green. When they say, yeah, me too, I say, yeah, but I'm ready to go. Are you? That's witnessing, folks. That's a, that's a way to just get something out and start a conversation. Ready to go. It pays to be ready. I said it to someone day before yesterday and they looked at me numb are you ready to go 85 years old I know not ready I don't understand never bring the lost to church make no effort they say well it's hard to get people to go to church yeah it's hard to get people to do anything and I understand we're in the midst of a pandemic But you'll wish you'd tried in the midst of a pandemic if they die and spend eternity. How hard is it to get them in front of that TV screen? Turn it on on Sunday morning. Listen to Dr. Stanley or Cal Ray. Make them get up and leave the room if they don't want to listen. Cry. Be concerned while they're here because I'm telling you this crying when they die is not going to get them out of hell. Mordecai's crying out got the queen's attention. His sackcloth and ashes was evidently an embarrassment to Esther. His mourning, his repentance... His hiding his nationality was over. Hiding his faith was over. He realized his pitiful condition. He reprioritized his life. Death was coming and he was sure. There's an urgency. There's a need. Folks, nothing gets the attention of God like tears and a burden and crying out. Nothing. Nothing will get the attention of your unsaved family members like you crying for them and pleading with them to trust Christ before it's too late. My heart breaks. Michael alluded to it this morning. Our ministry has changed. Unbelievable. Over 200 and some kids used to sit in in, in a room and we'd feed them donuts every week. And now if he's lucky, he'll have five or ten on a Zoom meeting. 
Their lives are standing in the balances. Some of you are here this morning in this room because of that ministry. The enemy knows what he's doing. But God is on a throne. He knows what he's doing also. And maybe it's a time for us to reprioritize our life. Maybe it's a time for us to evaluate how blessed we really are so that we don't drop the ball when all this is over. When we're appreciative and thankful for the places and the doors that God opens. Yeah, we're doing the virtual stuff and the devil might be winning, but God's already won the war. But maybe it's a test and a trial to see where we're really at in the war. To see where our faith is during this time. To let us evaluate how we really are repentant, convicted during our dark hour. I can only hope and pray that when all this mess is over, that heaven opens up and Christians realize the need to get the gospel into our schools, our communities, our homes. They understand the freedom that we had. No one visiting the hospitals received a call this week. Folks asking for Michael to come to the hospital and couldn't get him in. I don't know what that does to you, but it breaks my heart when you got to do a FaceTime call with a kid in a hospital bed. The harvest is truly plenteous. It's plentiful. But the labors are few. People don't stop going to hell because of COVID. Little kids don't stop going hungry because of COVID. Let's stand.